Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. Uh, I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. We have a production of The Cherry Orchard by Anton Chekhov opening on April 6th, 2023, and running for three weeks through the 23rd. And in honor of that, and to provide perhaps a little bit of enlightenment, we have brought back a, an employee from Burning Cold's past, uh, high school English uh, teacher, Madison Doss. Uh, Madison, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm really excited. So um, I know that you have a, a particular interest in uh, Shakespeare and in uh, some, uh, you know, what people think of as classic um, literature. Um, let's start out by talking about you a little bit, because I, I think it's always interesting to, to figure out how a person lands on that kind of thing. It's certainly not something that our culture is pushing forward for young right. people. And so, so let's start off by talking about you. Uh, you know, who are you? Uh, what do you do? Uh, you teach uh, high school uh, English, uh, obviously, but uh, where are you from? Um, and and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I'm from I'm from the Raleigh area, so I I grew up here, um, and I just never left. I went to NC State, and then um, started working at Sanderson High School over near North Hills, and have been here for quite a while. Um, I. I'm married and I have one son. He's a toddler, so he's quite a handful. Um, but in terms of like, how how did I end up kind of in this career, especially, you know, you're talking about like, you know, society not pushing people into social sciences, but also, you know, people are actively leaving teaching every day. So I think, I think for me, you know, I, people do actually ask me this all the time. My parents, uh, my mom's a nurse, my dad's an engineer. My brother's a pharmacist, so none of them are anywhere near what I do for work. But growing up, my parents were really big readers, both both of them. I mean, they still are. Um, and not like they were handing me classics, you know, they weren't like, oh, read, you know, The Odyssey by Homer or whatever. Like my dad was like reading like Stephen King, John Grisham. My yeah. mom was just reading like whatever kind of contemporary literature was popular at the time. I remember um, her introducing me to like Jody Picoult and Kristen Hanna, things like that. Um, but they took my brother and I to the library all the time. I mean, we were there once or twice a week. So I was consuming books on a pretty steady pace. Like I think when I was in high school, I'd be barreling through like three a week. I mean, I just, I, it was something I really loved. And I think a lot of that came from just seeing my parents reading all the time and just having that um, support like they they were always like oh we heard about this series from like one of your friend's parents and you should check it out and they'd buy me books and stuff like that so I think that's sort of how I kind of ended up here just through a love of literature and then sort of discovered that I really enjoyed working with teenagers kind of along the way. Was the was the literature you were drawn to early on was it young adult uh, material or was it something more advanced than that? Um, originally it was a lot of young adult. And then when I was in high school, kind of what changed for me is I had a, a teacher in high school who caught me reading, um, this is so embarrassing, uh, but I was reading a uh, Danielle Steele book. 
which now I don't think I'd be caught dead reading that. It's a little bit cheesy for me, but I was reading that in class and he came up to me and he was like, you're reading all the time. I like see you, you like will barrel through books, you know, assigned for class. I have some book recommendations for you. So he gave me um, a Cormac McCarthy novel, which I'm now like a huge fan of Cormac McCarthy. And I believe, I think it was The Road because that makes the most sense. Cause we, uh, he taught that in his higher level classes. So he gave me a copy of The Road and he was like, take this home, read this. And that sort of changed things for me. Not that The Road is really a classic, but it sort of opened my eyes to like, oh, literature can be more than just this kind of like cheesy romance stuff. Like that's a lot of what the young adult literature I was reading was. So mm -hmm. that was kind of what drove me in that direction. And then just had a lot of other teachers who just loved reading and taught us how to like analyze text really closely. And I enjoyed that kind of like peeling back of layers. Right. Um, do you remember the first, uh, you know, I know this is a very broad uh, generalization, but the first classic that you picked up on your own without a parent or a teacher uh, giving yes, it to you? I do actually. I was maybe my junior year of high school, I read Jane Eyre not for a class assignment. Um, I had, I heard, heard of it, you know, knew, knew it was good. I was taking like an AP literature class and, um, you know, I just picked it up cause you know, I was like, oh, it's a classic. It must be good. And, um, it, I, I fell in love with that book. I thought it was so great. I thought Jane Eyre was about the best female character there ever was. Um, I'd never really read much literature with like a female protagonist especially one that you know is so fiercely independent and I think mm -hmm. I just really uh latched on to that uh, others um others oh, in that realm of of just like books I picked up on my own or yeah and, and the... particularly ones that would uh, that we would think of as classic literature yeah, I mean, I definitely think over time I tried to sort of broaden my knowledge through classic literature. I read Huck Finn on my own. Um, I read To Kill a Mockingbird without it being assigned in class. Mm. Um, trying to think of Handmaid's Tale, mm, which sure. I guess is a little bit, that's still a little bit modern. That's not necessarily a classic. It's a um, modern, modern classic, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a modern. I feel like anything that's sort of like, like worth its salt is kind of like a classic at this point. Yeah, um, yeah and you know, I, I still try to do that. Like every year, I try to pick up something like a like a classic that I haven't read before and try to um, get get through whatever it is sometimes sometimes I'm like oh I love this sometimes I hate it I've um been slowly working my way through Steinbeck's uh, vast number of of books some of which I really loved others I kind of struggled through I, I was surprised I, I'm a huge fan of Of Mice and Men and um I really love The Pearl which are you know two novellas and then I yeah. uh read East of Eden last year and uh I enjoyed it, but it was so hard to get through because I was expecting it to be like some of his shorter works. Right, right, right. Yeah, very controversial in its time. Um, so um, is. you'd be surprised. Uh, so um, theater um, 
is is something that you're deeply immersed in and interested in i think i think i can say that yes. uh, based on my declining memory where where, uh, where did that come from uh, that's not quite the same as uh, reading three or four books a week from the library is it Right. And the theater thing is, I guess, kind of like a, a tack on, you know, like you you read these plays and then, you know, you you hope to see them. Um, so yeah, you, were that, reading, you were reading plays in that process as on well. On occasion, as... it wasn't like I mean, like I read like when I was in high school, I read like Raisin in the Sun, The Crucible, um, Death of a Salesman. Yeah. What's that? A Doll's House, right. you know. Um, kind of like those ones that they always have available in schools, the Sha the Shakespeare. Um, yeah, the really for theater, it sort of started with musicals, which I feel like is a gateway for a lot of people. Like, sure. you know, you watch, they, there's so many film versions of them. Um, so I really loved growing up Greece, which I, you know, I feel like everybody sort of loves Greece. I, f I feel a little bit... Um, weird saying that now because I don't think it's really aged well right. um but I I really loved that and I love like I really love singing in the rain I mean all these all these musicals that I really fell in love with and um I joined like drama club when I was in middle school and actually my school's drama club performed a play that I wrote um when I was in like eighth grade so like that was kind of cool I had a lot of like just supportive people um you know I think like theme of my life is supportive teachers so that's why I became a teacher um mm -hmm. and so I just I enjoyed the idea of like being able to become someone else I thought it was really fun and exciting and so um I did a little little bit of that and then um kind of fell away from my interest in theater in high school I just uh, was too invested in like my like literature and writing and stuff like that and then when I was getting my master's and taking all these classes on early theater history, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I was learning a lot that I didn't realize like when I was in middle school, like a lot of like that backgroundy stuff, like what, what makes theater work? Like, Very I just thought sure. it was like this magical thing where actors came out and they did it and then it was done. There's so many moving parts. And yeah. um, where was so, your master's from? Uh, uh, was that in NC State? No, they don't. No, it's um the Shakespeare Institute. It's in Stratford. Oh, nice. So nice. yeah, did, did you travel there for that? I did. It was really great, and that was another reason. Uh, another thing that really propelled me into enjoying theater is I traveled there to take a class. Um, that was like, it was like kind of this um sort of like a week long theater workshop. Um, is kind of the best way to describe it, except all the like workshoppy things we were doing were stuff that you could like apply in your classroom. Mm. Um, it was really cool. And just um, getting to kind of, we got to work with the um, Royal Shakespeare Company. And so getting to work with their actors and stuff um, made me more interested. And my husband's always been a huge theater fan. So you know, when I was kind of like, I want to get more into theater, he was like, oh, let's get tickets to something. So he really like propelled me uh further into that as well did he make that gesture that you made uh no <laughs> <laughs> so my um, flappy hand gesture no yeah, um I, and it's funny um i i don't i know i mentioned this to Natalie. I, I don't think i told you but the cherry orchard is my husband's favorite play oh, so wow. when when we were dating um he was like i'm gonna take you um 
out to the theater. I was like, great. And I don't remember what theater company it was now. It was in Durham. So, oh gosh, I can't remember. It it was in like a, like a strip mall. Um, and he took me to see the cherry orchard and, um, it was great. I, and I'd never, I'd never read the play and I wasn't familiar with it, but he had read it in a, um, college class and it had become his favorite. And so he was like, we have to go see it. It's like mind blowing. And, um, so that was kind of my first experience with it. This might've been a deep dish. Um, Paul Frelick's uh, late lamented the company that operated out of a strip mall, um, kind of on the border between Chapel Hill and Durham, I think. Uh, I don't know if that Yeah, that sounds that. familiar. Little 80-seat uh, end-on stage. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was like a re- really, really small. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was probably Deep Dish, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they lost their lease finally. Um, mm, that's after, Yeah, it's uh, the, the way of the world, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, commerce. Uh, but um, so uh, so let's talk a little bit about Chekhov then. Um, y- you have since uh, come to know uh, Chekhov more. Um, and uh, do you do you think, uh, you know, I mean, you're you're much younger than I am and, and much closer to your students on a day to day basis, but also chronologically as well. Do you, right. do you think the body of work is is of interest? to young people or to modern audiences in general, or, or could it be, can it be? Yeah, I, I think that, maybe this is a sweeping generalization, but I, I think that any kind of classic piece of literature can be of interest if it's presented the right way. I think that presenting Chekhov in the way that like sometimes we normally teach plays where we're in a classroom, all the kids are sitting down and we're just like reading it. And that's a little bit dull. Like, I don't think that's really of interest to a student. I mean, even reading like something that's exciting and interesting is can kind of be made boring that way. Um, I think that they've, they've got to interact with it. Like you've got to obviously teach them some like background information, but you know, aside from that, you know, when you teach a play, they've got to see some of it. Um, they have to stand up and do some of it. They have to read those words out loud. They've got to like invest in it. Um, you know, with Chekhov, I think, and like a lot of classics, you know, they've, they've become classics because of their influence. So like, you know, we continue to read Shakespeare because he so heavily influenced the English language. And I think you continue to read someone like Chekhov because he's so heavily influenced playwriting. I mean, you can't look at a lot of like modern plays and not kind of see his influence. Um, So I think, you know, since I'm a huge Shakespeare nerd, I I always sort of like, to me, their lives sort of parallel. Like they both come from these sort of like, like lower class backgrounds, or at least at the time, what was considered not like, you know, noble or fancy or whatever. Like, you know, Shakespeare's this like son of a glove maker. Chekhov had that like grandfather who was a serf and then his his father was a merchant but not like you know especially upper class and they were both kind of lucky to attend school and then both took huge risks to make their career work I mean Shakespeare ditched his family and went to a city you know that was several days travel away and Chekhov left a medical career I learned this recently I did not know this until like I don't know maybe a month ago that he was a doctor first 
And then he was like, oh, I want to be a writer. Like he just liked writing more. And what an insane risk to like leave such a stable career to become a writer. So like, to me, some of that kind of can draw students in this idea that like, you don't have to um, have this like, you know, really impressive background. Like you don't have to be this really popular person. You don't have to be super upper class. You just have to have like a passion. And that's kind of what I keep, I, I push on my students is I'm like, find something you love and then just do that thing. You know, like that's where we see a lot of good writers come from. It's just like, they care so much about their body of work um, that they end up kind of becoming successful because they're willing to put in the time um, and, and effort, you know? And so like Shakespeare, I think you see Chekhov's influence um, continuing through uh, other well, plays. In all, in all of the, uh, the obvious examples, um, there, there were two things at play that I, I think we don't so much have anymore. Um, one was that they were affixed to or affiliated with theaters, um, right? Uh, the Moscow yeah. Art Theater for Chekhov, uh, right. obviously the Globe and the, the Rose, et cetera, um, for Shakespeare. Um, uh, you know, somebody like um, uh, Ibsen, uh, you know, had... Uh, had the the theater in uh, Stockholm, I guess it was. Uh, is that where he's from? Uh, um, yeah, the, that the sounds, National Theater. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, and um, oh, he's Norwegian. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, even somebody like uh, Sam Shepard uh, with La Mama. You know, he, he wasn't exactly making a killing there, but he was. Get, you know, Shepard had had room to to work, you know, and to and audiences to see his work, and 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 I don't know if we if we do that so much anymore. And and then the other thing that most of them had, at least pr prior to the twentieth century, was um, they were funded. You know, we we think of it today as government subsidy, um, like. Um, uh, a lot of the European theaters are very heavily subsidized, but um, but in fact, uh, get, you know, being the, the the queen's favorite is <laughs> is kind of the same thing. You know, it's uh, because the queen would take uh, taxes from the people and then dole it out wherever the hell she wanted, and and Shakespeare was one of the fortunate ones. So so the subsidies subsidies uh, both of the theaters and of the artist within those theaters, I think, is something that maybe allowed some of that uh, to happen um, uh, maybe more more uh, in, a, in, a, in a bigger, more lasting way than perhaps it would have uh, had those systems not existed. Um, one of the things that um, I think uh, we can say about Chekhov is that he, at least he thought that his plays were comedies. Uh, what do you think uh, about that? Uh, um, in his mind, he wrote a comedy. He thinks this play is hilarious. He a hundred percent is sold on it being a comedy. He, he tells his wife that um, he's like, I'm, I'm, I've realized that I've written a comedy. It's so funny, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it is arguably kind of sad. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it is like the ending's pretty sad. Um, so I think, I think Chekhov's saw it as kind of like a little bit of a parody like 
you know, he does. I mean, I think that comedy is is not like I mean, he's got that slapstick humor in there. But I think some of the like kind of like overarching larger comedy is in the fact that like this family can't accept their demise. Like they just like aren't aren't willing to let go and also not willing to really talk about it. They're just sort of like bumbling around, like carrying on, like nothing is really happening. Um, And I think that can be a little comical. Like it's sort of a little bit of a parody of, uh, I guess, social class to a certain extent. Oh, definitely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know if I totally agree with Chekhov that it's as funny as he thinks it is, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think there's a lot of comedy and I think we've got, um, you know, you have you have some nice comedic moments like, you know, you've got that part where, um, oh, who is it? It's. Um, oh, hold on. I'm gonna have to go back and figure out. Who is it is. fierce? Uh, um, oh no, I remember. It's it's when Charlotta is uh like at the opening of like Act Two, maybe Act Three. It's the part where she's like talking about how like oh I don't have a birth certificate, and she's like going through this lamenting, and then he she like just takes like a full large like cucumber out of her pocket and just starts like munching on it. It's <laughs> like to me that's hilarious. Like it's in this really like kind of seemingly serious moment and then she just like takes out this snack and then <laughs> you know right after that you have um uh what's what's his name uh you peek it off he's like playing his guitar and he says that thing about like oh i love to play the mandolin and then dunyasha's like that's not a mandolin it's a guitar you know like just this, like just silly humor you know yeah and i think it's funny because i think we've all been one of those two characters like you make the mistake or you're correcting someone and the humor is kind of just in the fact that like someone's just like come on man like get get the instrument right you know it's, it's about how how yeah how how we 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 see things in, in our from our personal perspective that look one way but if you're outside of that perspective it looks a different way entirely uh and and far less important uh uh, yeah, know, time time uh, heals all wounds. You know, I, I you know me well enough now. I can connect uh, anything to Bruce Springsteen. So I'm going to now take oh, a moment and favorite. do that. Well, uh, you know, when uh, when Born in the USA came out back in the '84, I think it was, uh, there was this great debate about is it a pro um, war mm, song mm-hmm. or is it an anti-war song? Is pro-American or anti-American? And and I kept, I, even as a kid, I was thinking it's both, it's both things uh, in one. Uh, and I think that's, that's the, th- the secret to Chekhov too. It's, it's both a comedy and a tragedy. And, and uh, it, it depends on whose perspective you're looking at as to, as to how, how you see it at a given moment. Uh, um, yeah. I, I love that. Uh, I love that about his, his writing. Um, I, yeah, I think I think the best authors can do that. They can hold, you know, more than one emotion in a scene at once, you know, or in a chapter and in, in a line of poetry. Like you can you can do both, and that's what makes you an expert writer. Because I think that's how we are in real life. We're always holding more than one thing inside of us at, at any given time. 
Chekhov was uh, was very, of course, he didn't know this, I, I don't think, but um, was very close to um, the Bolshevik Revolution, you know, uh, in terms of chronology, you know, his play, this play in particular, but to some degree, all of his plays seem to be about um, shifting tectonic plates uh, in that society. And um, uh, I wonder, um, I wonder if um, if that is true today as well. You know, I mean, that's kind of a really broad and perhaps unanswerable question. But do you have? You're laughing. Do you have a? Do you have a, any feelings about that? Uh, um, it feels very right to me right now. I don't really know why. It just feels like this is the the play to be doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is maybe getting at what you're talking about, but I was having this conversation with students today about um, films and books and movies that feel outdated. And we were just talking about like things that are maybe like not acceptable to appreciate in 2023. And, um, you know, we had been kind of talking about, uh, I'd brought up the notebook and the scene where uh, he like tells her that he, you know, he's going to commit suicide unless she goes out with him. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's so romantic. And I was like, not romantic. You know, it's like, we need to move past that being, you know, attractive. But what the student said to me, like, as we were having this whole conversation is she was like, yeah, I think a lot of these adults who are writing for teens keep pushing the ideas they have about the world and they need to start embracing the ideas we have about the world because like we're next and we're going to take charge and we may want different things. Like we want more rights for, uh, you know, transgender people and, and stuff like that. And a lot of like young adult literature is starting to shift to reflect kind of their generation instead of, you know, like millennials or anyone who's a little bit older. Um, and so I, I kind of see, I don't know, I almost feel like every generation is sort of like that. Like you get this shift as like, you know, one group of, you know, kids becomes adults and the things that they believe in start to bleed into the edges of, you know, culture and politics until they ultimately kind of take over. Is there a, is there a correlation between the fierceness of those beliefs and the tragic outcome. <laughs> I'm thinking about, well, I'm thinking about how the, the anti-war protest in the 60s begat uh, the me generation, the 80s and Reagan and stuff like that. Uh, or, oh, or geez, the, I don't know. Yeah, or the Bolshevik <laughs> revolution for that matter. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I think like, I think if I'm thinking about the play, like one thing that I sort of notice, and I don't, I'd like to say Chekhov did this intentionally, but maybe he didn't, you know, you have all these um, like kind of people in the peripherals, you know, waiting in the wings for social mobility, kind of like floating around this play. They're not necessarily like major characters, but you've got, you know, like maids, you've had that one homeless man. They're sort of like, they exist. And they're sort of like waiting for something to happen, you know, like they're not like central to the story, but, but they're there, they're existing. And so, I don't know, maybe that's, that's his way of indicating like, okay, things, things are going to shift. Maybe he was 
prophetic, you know. I mean, he died very soon after the cherry orchard, so. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, that's right. A a lot of, uh, a lot of people uh, passed very early back then. The the circumstances, even for the best uh, classes, was not all that, that good uh, or hygienic or that sort of thing. But, and certainly the medicine, uh, speaking of doctors, was uh, abominable. Well, Madison, I've run our interview past our time already. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> frankly, I could t- talk to you all day. Um, but um, is there anything you'd like to say um, at the end? You mentioned early on <clears throat> people getting out of teaching. Um, why are Why are you staying in? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think... What's driving me to stay in is largely the students. I think that teenagers are brilliant. I think when we're thinking like, is there value in the classics? I think yes, because I think that we don't give kids enough credit. I think teenagers are extremely intelligent. I think they're capable of watching a classic or reading a classic and appreciating it. And I think that they need more adults who are willing to see that in them and give them a chance. and so that's that's why I keep coming back. I mean, I I want I want them to have that person in their life who's supportive. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, giving young people a chance, not just to learn things, but to do things as well, um, which is one one way that theater comes comes into play. Um, theater, in in some sense, is an active version of literature you know um absolutely uh, uh, and um and if uh, if it's uh, done right then the participation not only builds up the muscles of you know showing up on time and being a good team player and all that crap but um but also (laughs) develops in you uh the uh the idea that um that within your own mind there lies um uh worlds uh, and and communities um, that have yet to be explored and and may be um, useful to explore. Absolutely, yeah, totally agree. Madison Doss, uh, thank you for all the work you've done for Burning Coal over the years and continue to do, and all the work you continue to do for the young people of our um, of our city and state. It's um, very very much appreciated. So uh, oh, well, we'll see you thank at- you, and thanks for having me. We'll see you at the Cherry Orchard, and you better be laughing. I will be, I'm sure. (laughs) Take care. You too. Bye, Jerry. Thank you for listening. This Burning Coal production is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org. Our production of The Cherry Orchard will run from April 6th through the 23rd. For tickets and information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.